0: When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is the word of the Lord. the Lord be with you. you. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, before I give the sermon this morning, I have two uh, announcements that I want to share with you. The first is regarding masks. Uh, as you may or may not be aware, the township of New Brunswick uh, let its indoor masking mandate expire at the end of January. The state of New Jersey will also end its mask mandate uh, for students beginning March 7th. And just this past Friday, the CDC posted new guidelines making masks optional for most indoor gatherings for our region. And so, in alignment with these guidelines, as we have been doing, uh, beginning next Sunday, uh, we will also make masks optional for our Sunday services. So, beginning next Sunday, Uh, You are free to not wear masks uh, if you wish. A few words about that. I would just like to remind everyone that we continue to follow an ethic of love for one another in regard to masks and everything else. Please be mindful that there are people in our congregation who are immunocompromised or who live with more vulnerable uh, family members or who just by temperament Are more cautious. So, this means that if you are not feeling well, uh, please stay home. Please stay home. It also means that we not judge one another because they decide to wear a mask or because they decide not to wear a mask. Let's not judge one another for being too fearful and wearing a mask or being irresponsible for not wearing a mask. It's going to take time for all of us to adjust to the shifting reality of living with COVID. And so I know it will be harder for some people to make that adjustments. Some people it will take longer, while for others it's easier. And so again, I ask for your patience, your kindness and understanding. I would especially ask the parents to please discuss this with your children, the decisions that you make as a family so that there is no bullying or judging other children because of a different choice that their family has made, amen I call upon all of us to follow the spirit of paul's words to the letter to paul's words to the church in Rome. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking what's kosher and what's not. it is not a matter of masking or unmasking but of righteousness, of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ this way is acceptable to God and approved by man. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. To those of you who uh, continue to worship with us strictly online, uh, who have not been to an in-person service in some time, I'm thankful for your faithfulness in worshiping uh, on Zoom and I can certainly sympathize with your caution and concerns for safety. However, in light of what's happening, the downward trend in COVID cases and especially in the severity of those cases, I hope you will please consider returning soon. Uh, we really miss not seeing you in person and would like you to come back. I think the potential Exposure to risk by being present for a Sunday service is really so minimal at this point, uh, especially compared to going to work or to school or to daycare uh, that we are all doing now. Uh, And I believe that not being here physically present may prove to be more harmful to your faith and to the faith of our entire community. So as everyone just about now has returned back to some form of in-person realities, Uh, I would encourage you again to please return uh, to in-person worship. The second announcement I have uh, that I want to make is in regard to the season of Lent. Uh, As you may be aware, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Traditionally, the church has practiced three spiritual disciplines in the season of Lent. Of giving, fasting, and praying. Uh, and this is based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, or a part of that found in Matthew 6. And so, beginning this Wednesday, this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and for the next seven Wednesdays, I'm asking you to join me in these practices to give, fast, and pray every Wednesday. Try to make that rhyme a little bit, okay? I'd like for all of us to give, fast, and pray. Every Wednesday, give fast and pray. Every Wednesday, give. I'm going to ask you to give to charities during the season of Lent. I know that many of you already give to various charities uh, outside of what our church supports, and so I'd like for you to share those charities with the rest of us so that we can support the ministries that you value, whether it's World Vision, the Children's Hunger Fund, the Red Cross, Salvation Army, One Day's Wages, or a host of other charities that I'm sure that you are all involved in. And it will be an opportunity for us to learn about the other ministries, the good things that are going on in the world, and to participate in that support. And so uh, we're going to compile a list of And we will publish this list every Wednesday in the Wednesday Word. It will just be a running list of those charities. And so then you can look those up on the Internet. And I would ask you and encourage you to give weekly uh, to one of these charities in whatever amount that is appropriate uh, for you and your families. Fasting. I'm asking you to fast every Wednesday, whether one meal, two meal, or the entire day. And during that fast, I would ask you, in addition to uh, praying for yourselves and your families, uh, that you would pray also for our church. In particular, this Ash Wednesday, I would ask you to lift up a special prayer for Sarah, uh, who will become uh, ordained and installed next Sunday. And so I would ask you to join me in those prayers, in in that fasting. And thirdly, uh, pray. So you might recall that uh, pre-COVID, During the season of Lent, we would have after-service FGs where the whole church would stay for an extra hour. We would gather in small groups uh, to have a time of fellowship and Bible study. Uh, In lieu of that, uh, during this season, uh, I'm asking you to join me and others every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. on Zoom, uh, which is when we have been having our monthly, uh, weekly uh, prayer meetings. Most of you have never been to a wednesday prayer meeting now's your chance to join it won't be awkward because most of the people that are going to show up haven't been to one yet okay i love for the entire church to come and just fill up that zoom space and i want you to know that during the uh, wednesday prayer time you do not need to come up with anything some of you might be afraid of you know you have to pray out loud, or you have to like share something and you don't want to share. Um, We're not going to do any of that stuff, okay? Just come, and what we are going to be doing in that hour is we are going to be reading and praying through the Psalms. Through the season of Lent, in those seven Wednesdays, we're going to read from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. That's all we're going to do. So we're going to gather, and we'll listen and we'll take turns and the different people will just read the Psalms. And so we will listen and we will pray the Psalms. And so I want to invite you to come to that. So I'm exhorting all of you during this season of Lent to give, fast, and pray every Wednesday. And it's not, you know, all or nothing. If you can't fast for... If you have good reasons for why you can't, that's okay. If you can't give at this time, that's okay. If you can't pray, well, no, you should pray. (laughs) But if you can't make every Wednesday, come to as many as you can. If you can't give every week, give at least once. If you can't fast every week, fast at least one time. All right? So, again, I'm just inviting all of us, to spend this season of Lent, uh, to exercise together these spiritual disciplines, to give, fast, and pray every Wednesday. Amen? All right, please pray with me now. Lord, we thank you um, for this new season that we are entering. And so we ask, God, that we would take this opportunity to more carefully consider our walk with you, And we ask that we would do our part to be strengthened to come to love you more deeply and to be more faithful toward one another. And now in the hearing of your word, give us a word that we need to hear. Help us to listen for your word. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So as I said, this Sunday, uh, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, uh, in the church calendar is known as Transfiguration Sunday. It marks the end of the season of Epiphany and the beginning of Lent. And so before we enter into a more somber season of Lent, we are given this glimpse, this Epiphany, this revelation uh, of Jesus and his Transfiguration so that we might be strengthened uh, for the difficult journey that lies ahead. Now, the word transfiguration comes uh, from the Greek uh, metamorpho, which we get the word metamorphosis in English. Depending on your age, you might associate metamorphosis with Eric Kyle's The Hungry Caterpillar turning into a colorful butterfly. That's a metamorphosis. Or perhaps the beast turning into an debatably handsome prince in Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Or Franz Kafka's novella, Metamorphosis, in which a man devolves into a monstrous vermin and is often imagined or depicted as a giant cockroach. That's Metamorphosis. In ancient literature, Metamorphosis, this kind of change, was associated with pagan mythology And so an alternative word, rather than metamorphosis, transfiguration, by way of Jerome and the Latin Vulgate translation, has come to us and is now part of our Christian vocabulary. It's not an unusual or special word in any sense, but it only appears a few times in the Bible. For example, in Romans 12, it usually gets translated as transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed be metamorphosized by the renewal of your mind <clears throat> likewise in second corinthians paul writes and all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the lord as through as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed that we are being transformed or metamorphosized into the same image From one degree of glory to another. We are to pursue and we are in the process of transformation in Christ. Thank you. But there is something unique about the transformation, the transfiguration of Jesus. Frederick Buechner described Jesus' transfiguration as holiness shining through humanness. Holiness shining through humanness. But I think my favorite word choice, as I've shared before, is the one given by the writer uh, Max Lucado, who described what happened as the decarnation. The decarnation. In the incarnation, Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. He took on flesh. But in the transfiguration, Jesus became decarnated. That is, he he kind of disrobed himself of his flesh for a moment so that the disciples might catch a glimpse of his divine glory. Transfiguration, metamorphosis, transformation, decarnation. Whichever word we use, it was an unforgettable moment. The Apostle Peter, writing about it years later, wrote in 2 Peter 1, We had been eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory saying, This is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. And the Apostle John may have been describing his own experiences when he wrote in John 1, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. They described it as having seen the majesty and the glory of God. Matthew writes that Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became his light. Likewise, in the book of Acts, Paul describes his encounter with the risen Christ as having seen a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around him and those around him. In the book of Revelation, it says that Christ's face was like the sun shining in full strength. So again and again, we see this this, this brightness. This brightness. And so the transfiguration is a kind of glimpse into this resurrected glory, that the shining, the, the power. And it's remarkable, but it is a glory that we will also share in. Jesus promises in Matthew 13, then the righteous will shine like the sun. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's us. That's our future. Now notice that in our reading today, it begins with this odd time marker and after six days what happened six days earlier what marks a special moment that he's saying six days later well we don't know it's not specified there's nothing in the previous chapter to say that this was the momentous even event to which he's referring but if we look through chapter 16 we can see what happened right before this in chapter 16 jesus had asked his disciples who do people say that i am and then follow that question up with who do you say that i am and peter declared you are the christ the son of the living god peter got the right answer and jesus commends him and praises him but as jesus began to explain what that meant that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised, Peter replied, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. For Peter and for everyone else, it was unimaginable that the Christ, the Son of the living God, would have to suffer and die. But Jesus reminds his disciples that those who would follow him must also deny themselves and take up the cross that he himself will shortly carry. And the last thing that he says to his disciples in chapter 16 is this. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, explicitly links that statement with what's happening in the transfiguration he writes in chapter 17, verse 1, six days later, three of them saw that glory. Now that's quite plausible. But as there is no concrete event, no explicit connection to a previous event, it's more likely that this marker, this six days, carries symbolic significance. It's not just a time marker, but a literary and theological marker as well. For example, when you hear six days, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Creation, right? For all of us, when we hear six days, creation pops into our minds. So one way to think about the transfiguration, perhaps what Matthew is suggesting here, is that Christ anticipates or fulfills the six days of creation. After six days, Christ now is the fulfillment. We get a sense of of completion of the new creation Of the resurrected new life. But more than that. More than the story of creation. Matthew wants us to hear. The echoes of the story of Moses. In Exodus 24 for example. Like Jesus Moses climbs a mountain. A high mountain. With three companions. And we read that the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it. Six days. Six days. Later in Exodus 34, we are told that after spending time with God in the mountains, Moses' face became shiny and bright. Then in Deuteronomy 18, Moses tells the people, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. It is to him you shall listen. Just as God spoke to Moses from the cloud, so now God speaks to the disciples, repeating the words not only of Moses, but the words spoken during Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Matthew wants us to see that Moses had foreshadowed the coming of Christ and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets as represented now by moses and elijah in fact it's really quite interesting and amazing that god interrupts peter to get a word in peter saw elijah and moses and jesus shining like the sun and he blurted out lord it is good that we are here if you wish i will make three tents here one for you one for moses and one for elijah In the most amazing experience of his life, right? In the most incredible moment of Peter's life, instead of relishing the moment, he wants to build three tents. Someone suggested that Peter is suffering from an edifice complex. It's like when people go on trips and they're so busy taking pictures. They can't really enjoy that moment. I know at least some of you can relate to Peter. In the presence of God, you want to do something. You have ideas, you have ministries to propose, and you're ready to go. You just need the go-ahead from God. You're ready to walk on water. You're ready to slice off a, a servant's ear. You're ready to build tents on a mountain. Your first thoughts during Sunday is, what can I do? What should I do? To those of you with that mindset, first of all, thank you. But maybe the first word for you today is to try to silence those thoughts. Take a load off your feet and listen to him. And I know that this is a word that I often need to hear for myself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his his wonderful book, Life Together, wrote, Christians, especially ministers, so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. The word of God interrupts Peter and the rest of us. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah, maybe the two greatest prophets, they may represent the law and the prophets and all of the old covenant, but God says, this Jesus is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And what I find most interesting about this passage is that it's upon hearing this word that the disciples are terrified and fall face down. Isn't that strange? They weren't afraid when Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became like white light. They didn't freak out when Elijah and Moses just popped up in the you know just out of nowhere they get terrified when they hear the word this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased." listen to him now their their terror may seem like an overreaction to you know something that is obvious to us but it really isn't because they recognize in that voice the voice of god affirming that this jesus is is the unique son of God. And the reason that it is so terrifying is because they know that they cannot look upon the face of God and live. Again, going back to Moses in Exodus 33, Moses had asked God, God, show me your glory. And God says, you can't see it. To see it, you will die. And so when Peter and disciples thought, of Jesus as a prophet, as a great prophet, equal to or greater than Moses and Elijah, it was cool to hang out with them. Let's build tents. Let's fellowship. But when they realized that Jesus is the Son of God, very God of God, upon whom they have looked, a face that was shining like the sun, they thought they were dead men. The writer of Hebrews will later state, Jesus is the radiance of the light of God. The light of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. The disciples are terrified by this announcement because they realize what it really means and who Jesus really is. And here's the word for us. Look at what Jesus does. In response to that overwhelming fear. Jesus does three things. Verse 7. Jesus came and touched them saying. Rise and have no fear. First Jesus came. He approached them in their fear. Jesus takes the initiative. To come to the disciples. He knows our weaknesses. He does not demand superhuman courage or even very much faith it's all grace just by being with jesus the disciples had this extraordinary vision of transfiguration and now when they find themselves utterly terrified that they can't even look up jesus comes to them to rescue them once more that is good news that is the good news that jesus comes to us he comes to us in the midst of our fears, secondly, Jesus touched them. the touch I think assured them that he was still there, that he's still Jesus, the incarnated, the enfleshed Jesus, but more than that, that healing brought healing to their fears. earlier in the gospel, Jesus' touch cleansed and cured a leper, his touch healed peter's mother-in-law's uh, illness and fever his touch raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. His touch healed two blind men so they could see again. And now his touch calms the fears of his disciples. Jesus' touch brings healing. And thirdly, Jesus spoke a word, a word of encouragement that had to be obeyed. Jesus said, Rise, rise and have no fear rise and have no fear you know for us this word rise it means more than just stand up or get up the word rise for us is a word of healing it's the word of resurrection jesus told the paralytic rise up and walk again you're healed Jesus took Jairus' dead daughter's hand, by the hand, and he told her to get up. And she rose up. The angel will tell the women who will come early to the tomb, Jesus is not here. He has been raised. Arise and do not be afraid. You know, most of the time, most people are awed by the light by the razzle-dazzle. We focus on the extravaganza, the dizzying and blinding light. But what I want you to remember today is the ordinary things that Jesus did and said in this moment. In this extraordinary, extraordinary once-in-a-lifetime event, he comes to his disciples who are terrified of the vision that they had just seen He comes to them, he touches them, and he says, Rise up and do not be afraid. The poet W.H. Auden, in his book, A Certain World, wrote this. Christ did not enchant men. He demanded they, they believe in him, except on one occasion, the transfiguration. For a brief while, Peter, James, and John were permitted to see him in his glory. For that brief while, they had no need of faith. But now consider this. The vision vanished. And the memory of it did not prevent them from forsaking him when he was arrested. Or Peter from denying that he had ever known him. Isn't that true? enchantments don't last no religious experience no experience of any kind no matter how powerful will sustain you for your entire life on that one moment alone right i mean think about those glorious moments in your life and what you thought and how you thought that that moment would sustain you you know i was thinking about the vows i took when i got married even though they were in Korean, I don't know what I said, but I, I, I'm, I'm assuming I said the right things, right? Like, but in that moment, when I stared into my wife's face, like the, the joy, the, the, the wholeness, all that, right? All that I felt, I thought I will love this person unconditionally for the rest of my life. But the years that have followed, there were many days when I caused her pain, when I hurt her. And did things that, you know, that were just wrong. The memory of that wedding alone will not sustain me. I remember when, when Peter was born, my, our first, you know, you, you, not so much the second and the third, but the first one. <laughs> you think, oh my gosh, this is so, like, the love that you feel for that first child, that, like, you, you feel such incredible love for that child, you think, I will love this child unfor- unconditionally forever. But in the days and years the, that have followed, right? There were days when, when I yelled at him and have heard him and said things that I've regretted. That one moment of exuberant joy, of ecstasy, will not sustain you. I remember when I first met Christ, when I gave my life to Christ, right? When I realized who Jesus is and, and that, that forgiveness and when I experienced that moment in the mountaintop, right? Oh, I will always love Christ. I will always follow him. I will never do anything. I will never sin again. But the memory of that glorious moment, the mem- that memory alone is not enough. It will not sustain you what's necessary is a daily obedience to the word of god it's not the memory of that transfiguration it's the word listen to him right listen to him god says listen to my son and the grammar there is imperative and it means to um Not just the command, but it's the the grammar, it's to keep on listening, to continue listening, not just, just the once. Don't stop listening. When you're fearful and you can't even look up, do you know that Jesus still comes to you? And he wants to touch you and speak a word into your life. When you are fearful that your sins will condemn you, Jesus says rise up and do not be afraid. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. When you are fearful of loneliness or abandonment, Jesus says, rise up and do not be afraid, for I am with you through the valley of the shadow of death and even to the end of the age. When you are afraid of others, Or from uncertain situations, Jesus says, Rise up and do not be afraid because no weapon formed against you shall prevail. When you're fearful that you are not good enough or strong enough or just enough, Jesus says, Rise up and do not be afraid. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you are fearful of all the craziness that is going on in the world today, Jesus says, rise up and do not be afraid for I have overcome the world. Rise up and do not be afraid. It's when the disciples heard those words and obeyed those words, right? When they obeyed those words, that they saw Jesus, and they were able to come down the mountain and continue with their ministries. When you listen to Jesus, his words will not magically make all of your fears disappear. That's not how it works the fears that you have for yourself, your family, for the world, they're not instantaneously eradicated. But Jesus calls us to listen. And he's calling us to take a step of faith. And in our fears, in our fears, to trust his word. Rise up and do not be afraid. Look up and see Jesus only. Who loves you. And gave his life for you. Please pray with me. Lord, we... I think we all long to see a glimpse of your glory. To be on that mountaintop... And experience that moment of your transfiguration. To think that that will sustain us. And yet, we are reminded today that no singular experience will forever transform our being and living. And so, God, help us to listen to your word the word that you have for us today so that we might rise up and not be afraid that even in the day when we must close our eyes for the last time that we might have the confidence that we will wake again that you will take us by the hand And raise us up to new life so that we need to have no fear ever again. And so, God, we look to you today. Help us to arise and not be afraid. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.